Hello, welcome to Retrospection, a nostalgic look at past film and TV. My name's Colin. My name's Paul. In this special episode, we're very lucky to be joined by Judy Matheson, an actor known and beloved by film fans the world over. Judy has starred in films like The Exquisite Cadaver, Lust for a Vampire and Twins of Evil. And she also appears in episodes of The Professionals, The Sweeney and Blake Seven. We join our conversation just after Paul has asked how she is faring in lockdown. Well, it's been frustrating like everything. I'm really lucky. My situation is really lucky. I've got a garden. I've got a house. I've got family with me. But um, it's frustrating, you know. It's just frustrating not being able to... Um, I mean, I feel awful saying it because people are so badly off. But I feel bad not having any fun, really. Not putting on the red lipstick and going out. <laughs> That's the thing, that you can't go anywhere because there's nowhere to go. Even no. if you're allowed out of the house, there's nowhere to go. No, no, even if you do put the high heels on on the red lipstick, there's nowhere to go. So so thank you for, for agreeing to do this. I, I, as I was saying, I, I was afraid to tell you that we hadn't interviewed anyone before in case it put you off. Uh, no. <laughs> no, it won't put me off. Are, are you happy just to get straight into it? Or? Definitely. It's a bit like, this is a bit like, um, I don't know if you've seen any of those lockdown programs like, have I got news for you? Because it's all, all a bit, you know, you have to wait for somebody else to do the chuckling or you have to wait to see if they've finished and you're not quite sure. Um I'm glad this is not a Zoom one, I must say, because I think that's uh, that could be very awkward. Yeah. Well, you know, like the Russell Harty thing and have I got news for you? And they're all doing it on Zoom. And it's all incredibly awkward. Yeah. And I've also discovered that one thing I've noticed is that celebrities and comedians, they really need to improve their internet connections. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But also just hearing them laugh at their own jokes and nobody else laughing, it's... Uh, yeah, it's a sad situation. Yeah. Hopefully it won't go on for too much longer. No, that's true. London's doing quite well now, I believe. It, it seems to be, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm quite close to London. I'm in Reading. On the streets, people seem to be walking around, obviously social distancing, but it does seem to be getting a little bit back to normal. But that is worrying in itself, really, isn't it? Yeah, that is worrying. That's really worrying. One of the things that I do is uh, walking. Obviously, that's the only thing you can really do. And I live very near Hampstead Heath. But it's very alarming going going for walking on Hampstead Heath because it is so crowded and so many people running, so many bicycles, so many family groups, not even family groups, but people not really taking notice of this um, this distancing thing. So it can be quite – a walk becomes quite an anxiety trip, really. You need to take a big stick with you, Judy. I, I thought of that. I thought of that. A big <laughs> stick and stick it out two, two metres long. I have actually thought of that. I did think of that. It's worth a try. Yeah. <laughs> I might get violent with it. <laughs> Especially with I, the I, joggers. I, Don't get me started on those joggers that, t that just run by, you know, everything coming out of every orifice and they don't bother to make any sort of distance at all because they think it's fine, they'll be gone in a minute, which could be true. But then you're left in the plume of their their excretions, which is not yeah. attractive. You don't want to be in their wake, do you, at no, all? No, exactly so. No, that's right. I don't actually want to see you get angry because I've seen you get violent in your movies, Judy, and, and it's quite something to see. So. <laughs> Oh, those are the best bits. Those are really the best bits, getting angry. I mean, yes, yeah, so I'm looking back over, and, and I've done one or two interviews, of course, in the last uh, few years, and looking back, I've, I, too many times I was the good girl, and it's not um, it's not really what I like to do. I quite like to be the bad girl. You do do that very well, as I'll, I'll mention as we go through 
all the many things that you that you've done. Um, but what, what was it that drew you into acting in the first place? Um, well, I think I think I fell into it a bit. I did it a lot at school. Um, we had a w- rather weird thing. I went to a girls' uh, high school, and we had a rather weird thing called elocution lessons. And um, you'd be taken out of lessons in a group, and you'd do uh, drama. And we did lots and lots of sort of drama exams during my high school, um, lambda exams, and and you know reciting things. And we did school plays. So it came from that. And then um, I went to a college that my elocution teacher, such a weird word, that elocution, especially as I spoke like this anyway, so I really didn't need any correction. Um, And and she knew a new college that was opening up. In fact, it was called the New College, and it used to be the drama school of the Royal Academy of Music. So it was quite posh, but they were starting up a branch of drama for the Royal Academy of Music. And uh, I don't think I've ever said this to anybody before, but uh, we were in about the second year of it, the new. And it was uh, that's what it was. It also gave you a teaching degree. So I have um, I have I'm qualified teacher, which is rather odd um, because the Essex County Council. I came from Essex. I'm an Essex girl. And um, they they would only give you a grant. We all had scholarships and grants in those days, unlike the, the kids today, which is. Very, very different. But, uh, they gave you a scholarship if you'd get a qualification like a teaching degree. And mm-hmm. there were two drama schools in London that did that. One of them still goes, I think, uh, Rose Bruford. The one I was in, the Royal Academy of Music's drama section, got subsumed into Middlesex University, I believe, after we left. Was that something that you ever thought of doing, the teaching side of it? Well, I went through the college three years, um, not quite knowing what I was going to do, what I was going to do. There was a sort of division in our in our college. Um, there were the ones that were going to be definitely going to be actors. And that was mm-hmm. quite a small group. And the rest of them actually all did want to be teachers, teachers of English and drama. Um, and mm-hmm. there was quite, and I was I was in the middle. I wasn't quite sure. I always had what what. Everybody now refers to, and it's so accurate. I always had a slight imposter syndrome in as far as I thought perhaps I shouldn't be acting in the early days. I thought maybe, you know, I'd fallen into everything had been too lucky. And you may have read, but I was at college with a couple of really, really good actors, uh, Helen Mirren and Paul Freeman. And they were definitely always going to be acting. And they were both spectacular all the way through college. And, um, I think I did. I did feel I perhaps um, wouldn't be as successful an actor as them. But I, actually, I was really, really lucky because what you did when you finished college is right round to the reps. The, the reps in those days were wonderful. They could give, I think, something like 10 or 15 new equity cards a year. And I was unbelievably lucky because I got into the Bristol Old Vic, which was the top repertory company at the time. And um, and so I so I just sort of went from there and everybody else in the company, all the young people in the company had all gone to the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School and they were all very dedicated actors and they were all very intense. They became my very, very good friends, actually, obviously. But at the first, they were all unbelievably intense into serious method acting, really. And I was confused. I was quite confused whether I should be there or not. And uh, the new phrase, the phrase which I think is so accurate, is this imposter syndrome. I kept thinking, 
uh, I don't fit in. But actually, you know, I did. And I've been really lucky throughout my career. So I took off. But it was a bit by accident. Was it just a case that I'll just keep going and and the longer that you kept going, the the more you realised that it was for you? Well, yes, but actually the longer I kept going, the more I kept getting jobs, really. People get given yeah. jobs. And I got a really, really good agent, um, actually, uh, through somebody who was at Bristol Old Vic with me, an actress called Janet Key, who was a fabulous actress. And she got this wonderful agent in central London who was quite the best, I think, agent for young people. If I, you know, the role list of her name was Hazel Malone Management, and the role list of people were, were was extraordinary. She had at the time uh, people like Judy Jason, Malcolm McDowell, Richard O'Sullivan. And all sorts of people. She had so many people, uh, and I was lucky to. Again, it was all luck, as far as I can tell. Um, it's I was a good company to be in there. Amazing, amazing. So you yeah. pop into the office to speak to Hazel, the agent. You pop into the office, and there would be, you know, some some big star there. There'd be Malcolm McDowell discussing, you know, how he was going to be working for Kubrick and, and things. So it was <laughs> all it was all quite glamorous, and and it was, of course, what it was. It was the sixties. So to be yeah. a drama school, a drama student, and then an actress in the 60s and the early 70s, I mean, I couldn't think of a better life, really. And you did some amazing tours with, with the theatre company as well, didn't you? you? You toured Europe, Israel, and you even did Broadway at one point. We did. Well, that was that was at first. That's what that's why I got the job, actually. They decided they needed another uh, young actress to, to, to do uh, bits and uh, understudying, and, and uh, that's how I got the job. I went down to Bristol. Um, forced down there by my father, who said, you've got to give it a go when I was invited to go. And um, Mm -hmm. they invited me to stay on. And we went to America first, all over America. We flew to America. Um, Did three weeks on Broadway, went to Los Angeles, um, San Francisco, went everywhere. And that was an amazing experience, absolutely amazing. And then we went to Europe later and then Israel, which was sensational, really. Can I ask how old you were at that point? I was 21. Ah, so that must have been amazing for a 21-year-old to be. 21, yeah, 21. Had to work it out. Went to college at 18. It was a three-year course. It was my first job, yes. Yes. It was amazing. One of the great things about it was being one of the younger cast members um, because we weren't doing very much. We were understudying, really, and we were walking on and being courtiers. And Funnily enough, the very, very first thing I did that I got paid for professionally was running on the stage on my own in Romeo and Juliet, setting the scene, running along the back ramparts um, when the curtain went up, running along and screaming. And the, the director <laughs> said to me, uh, can you scream, Judy? And I sort of said yes and gave it a go. And then that, that's what I was doing throughout the run, along with a lot of other things. But uh, the first thing I ever did professionally was scream on stage, which was um, ironic, considering the label, <laughs> the label that I still have. <laughs> All that work in the theatre, though, and, and, and all those tours must have really set you in good stead for um, sharing the screen with Gregory Peck in The Chairman. That was something and nothing, except, of course, it wasn't because it was pretty, you know, wonderful to be in the same room. That's what I always say. Funnily enough, Janet Key and me, we were sent along by Hazel. We weren't auditioned. We, and I think I think Lee, uh, um, J. Lee Thompson had just said, you know, he wanted some students. He wanted two students to have a couple of lines. It was in a lecture hall. It was in a lecture room. And uh, just ask questions, really, of um, of Anne Haywood, in fact, who was the lecturer. 
And uh, so we went along and it was just a day's filming in this um, lecture room. And um, so we didn't audition and it wasn't really a part. It was more, it was a glorified extra. But um, he walked this man, uh, Gregory Peck. And I mean, really, it was, it was, I'm not easily starstruck, but I was very starstruck by him. He was beautiful to look at. And, and, and for a sort of um, actress, actor, he was very interesting to watch because he's always thought to be quite the same, but he never was. He did several different takes and he, um, and he was different in every one. He was remarkable. He was really remarkable. And I don't know if, I mean, I recently, a wonderful young lady called Hannah Brooks, who runs a Facebook fan page for the Vampire Lovers, she discovered mm -hmm. on uh, eBay, I think, uh, a still that I'd never seen. She, oh, this was about a month ago. A still that I'd never seen of Gregory Peck and me and a couple of other people, uh, students, yes, and I'd never it, seen yeah. it. And I'd never seen it before. And I, you know, I almost couldn't remember him coming around the back and talking to us as, as, as in that still. Um, so, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I actually bought it. I bought it off eBay. <laughs> I had to have it. I had to have it. It's now it's now been framed, not framed, but it's put behind glass in my um, sitting room. Very nice. Wonderful. You you, you your own still. <laughs> <laughs> no, quite one that I didn't know existed. I don't know where it came from. I've never Fantastic. seen it. Yeah, it was exciting. Just 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 four weeks ago. Well, Colin was hoping to actually see the chairman just before the interview. He, he's just bought it on Blu-ray, haven't you? But it hasn't turned up in time. So. Yeah, <laughs> Colin, Colin, you wouldn't see it. You honestly wouldn't see it um, because it's just a flash in the pan. I mean, you can't see it really at all. Our bit was cut. Uh, our little bit, Janet Key and me and the other students, it was cut. But interesting enough, just quickly, it's not very interesting. I keep saying interesting enough and being really boring. But <laughs> what I will say to you is that I did a stint, quite a big stint, actually, as a, as a, which you, uh, presumably we might chat about later, can, as a continuity announcer. And in mm -hmm. the television south, in, in the ITV studios, you had to – they the, all the presentation people – the people pushing all the buttons had to preview every movie that went out and, um, you know, for various things, including, I suppose, some sort of censorship. And suddenly I got a call when I was on duty in my little studio. I got a call, Judy, come and see this. And they see they've been running through the chairman and they said, is this you? And they managed to stop it and see me in my little funny little yellow shirt that I wore. And I said, God, yes, I've never seen that. I didn't know that was existed. But there it was. But you, um, I'm sorry, Colin. I mean, if you're looking for me, you, you will be, uh, you, you know, you won't see it. Well, I'll, very, I'll know you there. That's enough. Yeah, you'll know I'm there. That's the main thing. There is actually some very, very nice young man in, in uh, America has made um, a sort of compilation of several of my and all separately, and he's done one of the chairman. So he's put my little bits of the chairman, which don't really exist, but he's put them together in a little tiny YouTube thing, I think. Ah. <laughs> That's lovely. Um, and uh, something that you did around that time as well was um, the emergence of Anthony Purdy Esquire. Now, this really intrigues me because I can't find a copy of it anywhere. And it, it, it sounds amazing. It was amazing, actually. That was um that was something I got in Hazel's my management's office. Up came Patrick Drumgoul. He was actually a director of um, Harlech Television, but he was a fantastic director, and he did a lot of wonderful things. And he um, 
And he also worked a lot with Freddie Jones and he worked a lot with Charles Wood, that amazing writer, Charles Wood. Mm -hmm. Charles Wood wrote this, it was a sort of curiosity, really, a little film. And Freddie Jones was playing um, a farmer's labourer. And they and the story was just that he, he his mother and his sister were very uh, getting very fed up with him because he was like in his forties and he needed he needed really a woman because he was very frustrated and he was a farmer's labourer and goodness knows what what he was getting up to. So they they went to the local gypsy uh, camp and chose a young lady, which was me. So it was a very very curious thing to do. It was a wonderful thing to do. Still in well, very much so in retrospect one of my most favorite things I ever did. I had to have a, had to do a Somerset accent. Um, I worked with Freddie Jones very closely in it. I was, and, it and it was brilliant. I mean, it was brilliant. And you can't get it, but I have got a copy of it, um, which I got oh. from somewhere, uh, not Harlick Television, but um, I think, um, I'm trying to remember who, it was a, it's a museum and an archive um, museum down in uh, in Wales, and a very nice man sent it to me. Sent me a copy on on you know if I if I said it, I wasn't going to put it out anywhere. It wasn't for publication, as it were. Interesting enough, when um, Freddie Joe when Freddie died quite recently, the director did, Patrick yeah. John Gould's daughter contacted me. She works for the BBC, and she said, "You don't by any chance have a copy of the Emergence of Anthony Purty?" And I said, "Yes, I." do but i'm not supposed to let it go she said oh but freddie's family really really want to see it so i gave her gave her the copy she made several copies for freddie's family and uh, then she gave it back to me so there are a few copies floating around i'd love to see it one day <laughs> yes quite quite it's very strange it's uh, very strange and it's rather weird because it's in black and white and it's quite short i think it's about 40 minutes i've seen many stills from it and it, it looks fascinating it absolutely was and is. I'm not sure. Yes, it's very strange to watch everybody sort of talk. You know, it was muddy and dirty and, yeah, it was wonderful to do. Definitely one of my favourite things. And I got to know incredibly well. I mean, you know, I mean, we were very close. We, we spent a lot of time together. He was fascinating. I've heard lots of stories that he was extremely a nice man to work with. Yeah, interesting too, yeah, and intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the main question is, though, really, Judy, can you still do the accent? Um, it was probably oh, all those years ago, and I was very young. Um, it was um, it was probably very much a mama set one, you know. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it was I, when I think back on it, it wouldn't have been particularly accurate, and probably would have really upset everybody who lived in Somerset. But it was very easy to do because you, you're working with such good actors. Um, Daphne Hurd was my mother. There were various actors in it um, that were very, very fine actors. And Freddie Jones, of course, uh, did a perfect accent. Uh, so it wasn't really that. And we were doing it in a farm, filming it in a farm in Somerset. So so it was all around you. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that difficult. But, uh, you know, in retrospect, it was probably not that good but um it was good enough i'm sure it was fantastic after that you started in um you went to spain and made the exquisite cadaver now discussing my career with you like yeah. i just it's downhill all the way after these things as i did i was chosen to go to spain it was wonderful another amazing experience and um with another mm -hmm. amazing director and an amazing uh, cinematographer they both came over the cinematographer who is very classy amongst cognoscenti his name's fernanda arribas and um, and Vicente Aranda were the directors. They came over and they um, 
they saw lots and lots of girls, and, and I'll never quite know why, because, but I got the part. And, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Spain filming that because you went over there to do costume fittings and makeup tests and then um, filming it. And then afterwards it was shown in the San Sebastian Film Festival. So that was mm. quite a big deal at the time. So, yes, that was all very starry. I actually really thought my career was going to be um, – just going living like this cars picking you up and you know <laughs> be, <laughs> being pampered well you won the part from over 500 other hopefuls no, didn't that's, you that's really gone up in in, in numbers does it go up <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know where the 500 i i had it originally down in my head i mean i know it i, I was told i was told at the time it was 200 but you know it probably wasn't 200 you know he probably just looked through photographs first of all um <laughs> and and then chose you know i mean normally they would choose maybe i don't know maybe 10 maybe to to meet and chat to and uh, i didn't actually have to read for it at all and in fact i never read the script i've just realized i mean i'm talking to you about it i never read the script before i got to spain uh, it was outlined to me and um yeah, that was it. And I did get chosen, and I do think it's a bit weird in retrospect. I still, still, I'm still suffering, as you can tell, from imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh, so that's why you think it's a bit weird. It's because you didn't feel like you deserved I, the part, or well, no. I mean, I did at the time. I took it all. I've taken it all for granted. I was just a jobbing actress, you know, right. going from one thing to another. I was really, really lucky to be very rarely out of work, and. um and you know, I, I took it for granted, really. And, and you know, I never, I, yeah, I just thought it was normal life, really. That's what you did. Mm. Go with the, go with the five hundred figure, Judy. It sounds better. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's inflation yeah, anyway. I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, funnily enough, I've just been in touch. Somebody's put me in touch with, for the first time in forty years or how many years it is, with the cinematographer. Fernando Rivas. I've had several emails from him, and I think he'd be horrified to hear that I was saying five hundred because <laughs> he was the one that came over, uh, and he would have interviewed them. I don't know how many he interviewed, but certainly the director uh, interviewed. But I, I was told, I think, you know. Also, the other thing is about it's gone up to five hundred from two hundred. But the other thing with Hazel Malone is she was absolutely wonderful and really successful, but she definitely exaggerates all the time. She definitely says, oh, darling, you've been chosen for this commercial and they've seen, you know, 300 people for it. And you'd never, and, and probably they hadn't at all. And, you know, she'd make you feel good by doing that. So actually, who knows? <laughs> Speaking of the director, I, I, am I right in thinking that you were kind of put through the ringer on that film as well, weren't you? Um, there was it was was it quite a difficult shoot? I hear that the director had an accident. He did. I didn't. I wasn't. I did. I mean, I loved every minute of it. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I was oblivious to it, but he did have an accident. And I have read subsequently about the problems Vicente had with with the producers, um, Sydney Pink and another one, American. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I've read much more about it, the difficulty he had. He, could, he had the rights taken away from him, but I knew nothing of that. It's a bit like um, later on when we touch on Lust for Vampires, same sort of thing was going on. You know, a very, very difficult time was going on. But if you're just an actress there, um, I was oblivious to it all. Obviously, I wasn't oblivious to Vicente on his um, 
on his stretcher uh, because he was filming from his stretcher. Yeah, he, but he was lovely. And it was, it was, I mean, it was all dealt with terribly well. And he was carried backwards and forwards. It wasn't for the whole shoot. It was for some of it. He was on a stretcher. I've actually put out a photograph of I, that little snap that I took with my Browning camera of him, uh, of him on his stretcher. But it didn't seem to um, impinge on, on my enjoyment. It's a wonderful film. It's got a great um, otherworldly feel to it. And I think a lot of that comes from, from your performance. Thank you. I actually do think it's a wonderful film in retrospect, especially as I've spoken to some people like you, actually, Paul, who, and, who actually, you know, do say that. There's a lot of appreciation for it now, which I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, gratified by, I must say. And um, I've, I've um, yeah, I've seen it much more recently and it's weird. I mean, I can understand that people might find it's a little bit full of long ears because it is one of those yeah. moody moody things but you just have to go with it no no no. i, I think it's a fascinating film and i think as I say, a lot of it comes from from your performance and it, for example um just off the top of my head the the scene in in the little cafe um with the long pauses between you know your your, your the dialogue and you're just looking at each other and you're playing with the little the little things on the table it's a it's a fascinating film Oh, it's so nice of you to say that, Paul. I'm so glad. I do think it's um, an acquired taste, but I, I mean, I, I sort of agree with you. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is. It was lovely to do. I mean, I was quite, I was quite involved with it. I was quite involved with doing it, and that's why it didn't seem. Um, though it's funny you should say I was put through the ringer because I've only just remembered that, that um, I think I was called back. I think I was called back. Uh, I think the producers decided it wasn't sexy enough. And I think I finished the film and I think I had to go back um, to do more nudity, in fact. And I've only just remembered that talking to you, Paul. And, and I think that was that was a bit stressful. But I don't remember it. I, I tend to blot out anything very difficult. I loved working with those guys. I loved working with Carlos Estrada. Another mm -hmm. guy I got on really, really well with. We had huge sort of rapport and fun. And Kat Pessine, I'm sure you've read that, I think, thought she was just the most amazing yes. woman I've ever met. I mean, the most beautiful woman, without a doubt, and entirely interesting and fascinating. So, And I was still very young, and I was you know, working with these amazing people. Thank you for what you said about it. I really appreciate that. Thank you. That's okay. Um, you're only a few roles in at this point in your career, and you, you've already established yourself as someone who will take risks in, in the kind of projects that you do. Was that an intentional thing? Not at all, no. No, no, not at all. No, Are you <laughs> jobbing actress again. That has to come up. You just got you. You you were just offered things. You went for things. You were you were uh, auditioned for things, and you uh, an awful lot you didn't get. Some you were offered, and then you you decided to do it with uh, you know chatting to your agent about it, and you decide to do it. So there was no plan. But it's funny again, Paul. You should say that because there've been a few things written. There's a lovely guy who. Um, who's a professor in New Zealand, has written the most wonderful thing about lots of things. He's a wonderful writer, actually. But anyway, about my career and um, also with the um, the um, homosexual side to my career, um, mm -hmm. because there seemed to be a lot of women, women together and um, my sexuality, really. And um, that never really occurred to me. There was no plan. There is no plan. I think, I think unless you're a very famous and successful actor where you're turning down scripts, 
there isn't really mm. a plan. You just you just work, you know, you just do the go where the work goes. Because the next two films that you did were the Hammer movies, Twins of Evil and Lost Ravampo, was that how that happened then? It was just a case of you going for the part and getting the part. I'm glad you've got my CV down because I know <laughs> the order of it. Um, yes, exactly, exactly that. I think, I believe, I'm not sure if I wasn't in Spain or something, but I did have... Um, an availability check was uh, Hazel, my agent said, you've had an availability check for the vampire lovers, but you can't do it. Uh, it's, it's part of a, a trilogy, but maybe she said, they'll ask you for the second thing. And they did. So I went to see the producers, curiously enough, um, mm-hmm. not, not John Huff. Um, he wasn't at the audition, but I saw the producers and, um, and then I got that part. Yes, I got that part. And then they asked me back for Twins of Evil because I think, you know, I knew my lines such as it was. I don't think there was much, hardly any line in, in Lust for a Vampire. But, uh, you know, you turn up on time, you do what you're supposed to do. Um, and mm. they ask you back for efficiency. They were good like that, Hammer. They would, they had quite a sort of little repertory going, didn't they? And, you know, I've read lots of stories that Hammer was a very much a, a kind of a family uh, atmosphere. Especially with the sort of smaller parts. I mean, think about my wonderful friend Luanne Peters was in several of them. Pippa Steele, um, Kirsten Lindholm, all the small part players, just very much like a repertory company, really. They, they were all asked back. Uh, so they were mm-hmm. very loyal in that sense, and um, I think I think it was I think they were a joy to work for. You mentioned earlier about the the, the difficulties on set with Twins of Evil that were going on in the background that you you weren't necessarily privileged to. D- did it not affect anything that was happening on set at all? Not as far as I was concerned. No, not at all. Uh, I was surprised mm. to read about it actually afterwards. Uh, I was especially I was I must say I was very surprised to to read Ralph Bates. Um, you know, I think he he said it was the worst film he'd ever made, or something. Which, of course, it isn't. It's just not. <laughs> not good. at all. No. And I think um, I do. I do think there seems to be a sense of humour failure there, which is curious because he had a wonderful sense of humour, and Michael Johnson mm. too, and um, and Jimmy too. They, uh, they all got on really well. They were very funny. The girls got on really well. You know, the all all the girl, school girls. I mean, it was just fun. It was a wonderful, wonderful weather. Wonderful costumes, yeah. wonderful hair, everybody giggling all the time. Um, and what's not to like, really? Yeah, I think we were just shooting for about six weeks and it was huge fun. They are two of my favourite Hammer films, particularly Lust for a Vampire. I, I do remember uh, getting the name wrong in a tweet once and you correcting me the next day. Really? <laughs> I think. I think- oh. Yes, this this was last year. I, I I said that I was watching the Vampire Lovers with with, with the great Julia Matheson, and you you corrected me the next day. <laughs> yeah, well, that's nice of you to, to mention me. I, I, I think I, I think I was drinking um, a little bit of wine that night, and you shouldn't tweet when you're drinking wine. <laughs> no, that's something I've learned. That, that is a lesson for me. I still haven't actually learned it. Uh, times when I do it, I think you just have to look at the time when these tweets go out and see. They go out I think that's what you said to me. I think that's kind of what you said to me the next day, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's quite likely. Very, very likely, yes. I'm glad it's your favourite. That, again, a bit, it's an acquired taste, I must say. I mean, some people hate it. There's a group of, um, I, I won't mention the names because some of them are friends of mine or people I know quite well. There's a group of, 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 uh, on Facebook that um, definitely do not like Lust for a Vampire and hardly want to hear. And I hope they hear this because they'll know who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> hardly want to, they hardly want to hear the name because it's just considered um, 
you know, it's considered definitely not a good one. But there, I think, they, again, there's like a sense of humour fa- failure there. I, I always think of it as sort of Disney-fied um, Hammer film. It's so beautiful and it's and it's sort of vaguely jokey. And, and it's uh, got song uh, uh, montage in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> song is definitely acquired taste poor, isn't it? <laughs> but that helps it. That helps the Disney-ish thing about it. You know, suddenly having a, a rather daft song coming on is uh, rather it, wonderful. It's like an earworm. I, I watched the movie the other day again, and um, when you hear that song, you can't get it over your head for days. It's it's just uh, it sits there in your head. <laughs> That's clever. (laughs) It's very clever. I can't remember it, actually, but as soon as I finish this, I'll go and listen and see. (laughs) But you don't need to. It's (laughs) No, no, maybe I don't need to. Your scene in Twins of Evil, um, was that a difficult uh, scene to film, Uh, being stuck to the stake with fire all around you? Or or were you perfectly safe? Did you feel perfectly safe? Yes, I did feel perfectly safe. And various people have said, you know, um, it, there were flames. It was there were proper flames and things. There was no CGI or anything, um, yeah. and I did feel safe. And I can't um, I can't remember why. I mean, it just all seemed fine. It was, you know, um, to a certain extent. I think after you know the imposter syndrome passed, I I did and I have in my past taken taken my work, the acting, pretty seriously. And it was a wonderful little scene to do with a wonderful, wonderful actor. And um, I was really into it. So, so I mean, if I was a bit scared or a bit, fr- I, fr- I was certainly fr- sort of. It was easy to act frightened with Peter Cushing. Kind of ironic for such a nice man. Yeah, but he was a great actor, and that's what was so mm. impressive because he was so gentle and quiet spoken, and uh, just lovely to be with. You know, on the set when we weren't working, but as like all the great actors, you know, it's very easy to give yourself up to the work when you're working with a, a wonderful actor. I worked with some wonderful actors, um, uh, you know, um, Freddie Jones, uh, as we were touching on um, earlier, you know, those guys, uh, Peter Cushing, wonderful to work with because you were really in the moment because the, because they were. Yeah, I can believe that completely with Peter Cushing. He's one of my all-time favourite actors. Brilliant, but also lovely. There's a couple of times you said this, that the actors around you, if they're at the top of their game and good at their performance, they make you a better performer too. That's exactly right. I think that is also um, exactly so on stage as well, in fact. Um, with with all the great actors, they're so much better when they're with other great actors. And, I mean, it's exactly right. With, just to go onto the stage, working with um, Richard O'Sullivan and Yutha Joyce, Night after night after night in two national tours, every single night was a joy working with those actors because they were so brilliant. Um, I think it's the same. I think that's exact. I think that's the the craft of acting is playing off other people, really. So you're constantly learning. Yeah, picking up atmosphere and picking it all up. And Peter Cushing was absolutely terrifying. And it was almost, if anything, more terrifying because he had been this gentle, quietly spoken and recently bereaved, as I'm sure you know. So he was, a, you know, quite delicate. You had to be quite delicate about you know, around him, even though he was incredibly nice to me. But then when he suddenly appears in that doorway and then he starts... He pulls the cross off and things. I mean, it just wasn't hard to be pretty terrified. (laughs) 
I can imagine. And this, this is a kind of tongue-in-cheek question, and I'm sure you'll you'll get it, Julie, when I, when I ask you. But um, was he more or less ter- terrifying than working with Mike Raven? Uh, Mike Raven wasn't terrifying at all. <laughs> 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 uh, no, he wasn't terrifying at all. I mean, you know, there's a, 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 a you've got the, the vast difference in talent there, haven't you? Um, he was never, ever, ever frightening, Mike, Mike, Mike Raven. Um, but then I don't think um, in my scenes with Mike Raven, and I really enjoyed doing that film a lot. Um, I don't think he was Crucible Terror. Yeah, Crucible Terror. Um, I mean, I think Mary Maud had more reason to be frightened of him. I mean, in in performance. Uh, yeah. I, di- I didn't mm-hmm. have to be. I didn't. I there was no acting of me being frightening, frightened of him. Um, I was his girlfriend, wasn't I? I was angry with him. I think. I, th- I think that Marcia is 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 the real villain of the, of the piece, not not Mike Raven's character. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She is. I like. I mean, that's exactly right. That's why it's it was a it was a nice part to do. It was a very mm. very nice part to do. Um, and. Well, I, I like those are the sort of things I, I like to do, really. Well, I love the scene around um, because it's a very predatory character that you play. And I love the scene around the breakfast table where you, you don't really have any dialogue. You're just kind of sat there looking at everyone and just sort of smirking to yourself. Yeah. All these, all these, well, you obviously think of them all as idiots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to tell you the truth, I haven't seen it for a long time. But I've seen some stills from that, which I think, you know, sort of do indicate that. I haven't seen the actual film uh for quite a long while i know it's around but i haven't looked at it um yeah that's true i mean i think she was a good good character to play she was the um the harder number you know there were three of us young women there and um yeah i actually think i had the best part don't tell me was it difficult (laughs) you do you did you did have the best part was it difficult to do the scene where you're throwing the rocks at Ronald Lacey <laughs> because that well, that's looked had, quite that's cold. had quite cold. a lot of derision. It has had quite a lot of derision, and the actual shame, the way I, I mean, I'm not a sportsman at all. Um, I think and that loads of people have laughed at that scene. Um, no, it wasn't difficult. I just couldn't throw very well. <laughs> I think the actual, <laughs> the actual rocks that got thrown and landed on Ronnie um, were thrown by the assistant director. I think. Um, and I was doing those those feeble little throws that I know that people have laughed at, and I think it was uh, I think it was quite difficult throwing stones and trying to make it look lethal. As it was. I've never noticed that before. I'll have to go back and look now at your throwing um, skills. Yeah, no, don't don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a miss. Okay. Um, and then you did um, the Flesh and Blood show, which I think is a fantastic little. I don't think it's hor- I don't really think of it as a horror movie. I think it more of as a, as a thriller. It's kind of a whodunit, really. It is a whodunit, isn't it? Yes, it is a whodunit. Yeah. You saw it the other day, didn't you? Did indeed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> doing your research. Doing your research. I was. I was yes. Yeah, that was. <clears throat> that was. Um, uh, that was a very. Um, I enjoyed that. I enjoy I enjoy all the stuff that I do. Did you know it's great fun being on any old film set and things? But the, I don't. I think the part was pretty nothing. It wasn't it. It was one of the. It was one of the very few things that I survived in. I was watching it with my wife, and I turned to my wife at the end, and I said, "See, she survived this one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think so. I think that was one of the few. Um, yeah, I think I think it was not not a terribly interesting part. Particularly, as opposed to Marcia and Crucible of Terror, it was pretty dull. I think um, Robbie and Asquith also, you know, I think we we neither of us had very interesting parts in that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you worked with Robin Asquith again um, a little while later when you did Confessions um, of a Window Cleaner, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Did that come later? I can't. I, you have to look. I no, haven't come later. Yeah. Uh, you see, well, he was one of the guys. He was one of the guys with Hazel Malone Management. And I'd worked with him before on a on a corporate video, actually, with Robin Stewart and uh, another young lady. I can't remember. He remembers, he remembers far more about everything than I do. Um we would we would do a corporate video for well, I can't remember what it was for. So because we'd just gone along and, and done that, we I, and I knew him from being with Hazel Malone Management. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew him a little bit, um, not very well, but yeah, there we are. We were a little bit. I, I actually was going um, as you do in lockdown. I was turning out a whole pile of stuff and found a, a very old address book, which was terribly intriguing to me. It had things like Capucine's phone number in Lausanne and and things like that. And I had lots of interesting things, but it also had Robin's number in it. So I, I sent him a picture of it and said, look what I've just found. And he remembered where he was, what which which place it was. It was a flat in, I think, in uh, St. John's Wood. And he, and he said, and he said, why is it in black biro and everybody else is this in blue? Well, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I didn't have an answer for that. <laughs> so we, 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 we must have mixed in the same circles at some stage. I think I went to a few parties in his, at his flat. Um, he, he seems like he was probably a very fun person to be around. He is a fun person to be around. I actually, I mean, um, I actually think he's, I, you know, I mean, I hesitate to say this because does he need to know this, uh, you know, again, but I think he's a very, very clever actor, in fact. I think the stuff he did with in Confessions is terribly difficult to do, that sort of light comedy, and I think he does it all terribly well. And he's very yes. um, lively and on the ball. And I think he, I've said it before, and as I say, I hesitate to say this because he really doesn't need any more praise in his life, but he is, um, <laughs> he's underrated. He's, he's done a lot of brilliant work. Asquith makes an unlikable character very likable, and that's a skill. Oh, that is nail on the head there, Colin. I cannot agree with you more. And he actually tells stories about um, other people who turned it down. There's a list of really good actors who turned it down. And when he did does that, you know, and you hear, you know, who he, he's sort of half tongue-in-cheek, you know, this guy turned it down and then, and you know, I was the last one they came to. Um, but I, I look at that list and think nobody would have done it better than him in those I haven't seen any of the others I really haven't I've, I've only seen Confessions of a Window Cleaner and to work with he was in that little scene that I had with him music so lively and so again a, a very it was very good to work off in fact and as I say I think he's underrated but you know you can cut this bit out because he just doesn't need any more plays in his life <laughs> He's in a really good little horror film called Horror Hospital that was made in the seventies. Yes, yeah, he's excellent in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about Confessions? um, Looking back on it now, in this, I mean, the the kind of it's the kind of film that kind of gets overlooked a little bit now in those in these kind of PC days that we're in. Um, Well, I think at the time it was probably my uh, um, uh, um, even later my least favourite film, Mm -hmm. really, of of mine. Yeah, no, I, I, I. I don't, yeah. If you, I don't like my performance much in it, to be honest. Um, and um, yeah, I, it was very much. I didn't really enjoy it, and I don't enjoy seeing it. I'm talking about myself, really here. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I, I'm. Uh, that's how I feel about it. I mean, again, it was just a job, 
uh, at the time, yeah. I seemed to be incredibly busy. I seemed to be doing various things. I was probably doing a couple of commercials. I was also filming at almost exactly the same time, a couple of days on Persis Progress, and they were both being filmed at L Street. So it seemed I was buzzing up and down to L Street doing this bit and that bit, and it, mm -hmm. it seemed quite enjoyable, very much a sort of enjoyable jobbing actress sort of activity. But I didn't really enjoy it, not for any real reason. I mean, I got on very well with our guest, and he had he. I can't remember the whether it was before or after, but he employed me on, on a little bit in the adventurer, the television thing, and um, I thought everybody was quite, quite nice. There was something horrible that happened. I shouldn't really mention it. You can cut it out. But after I after I um, got home and I lived in my little house in Hackney, in East London, there were a few um, horrible phone calls and you didn't have a mobile phone in those days there were a few what they call dirty phone calls and it was clearly from somebody who'd been on the set because they were able to um uh, to specify various things and uh, th yeah. and that left a very bad taste in my in my mouth really and, and i just mm. it made made it feel horrible you know that somebody one of those one of the members of the crew i think it was um, first of all, he had my phone number, which would only be on the call sheet. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and he was meant, and he was mentioned. I've never mentioned this before. It's probably, probably a bit sort of not very nice, really. It wasn't very nice at the time. I remember being quite upset about it. Especially, do you think that clouded your 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 opinion of the film as well? Probably, back on it? probably it did. Yeah. It sort of came. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it did. I've only just thought about this, but I think it did. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I quite like the film. It makes me chuckle. So okay. no, that's what it's for. That's what it's for. <laughs> Colin knows my sense of humour. Yes, I do. <laughs> you mentioned PC. I mean, I'm I'm all for PC, and people don't need to know this either. But I mean, I just think it just means being kind to people and about people, um, uh, being politically correct. But um, I've I've always said this right from the start um, because it was in the seventies, and I was. Um, quite a sort of um, political, I have political thoughts as I do, as I always have done. And I felt that the women were the ones that were taking advantage of this young, innocent boy all the time. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't him taking advantage of all these women, which is what some people think it is. It's not at all. Right. Each episode is, is, is the woman seducing him. Yeah. And him being, him being a bit bemused about it. So it's, um, it is quite, um, from that point of view, it is a feminist film. <laughs> Paul and I have always argued the point that if you watch a lot of the carry-on films, the female characters are stronger, more intelligent, and more in control than any of the male characters. There you go. Yes, that's probably right. Yes, that is definitely, definitely true. That's um, right. It's a shame they were paid so much less, apparently. Apparently well, the women actors in it were, were paid much less. Yeah, I, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. It is on record, I think, as, as, as yeah, that's the case. Yeah, that's still something that, that, that female actors are dealing with today, though, isn't it? Of course they are. They are, perhaps less so in the last couple of years since a few famous women have taken a stance against it. Yes, they are, exactly. Just touching on something that you said a little bit earlier about um, sexuality in films and that kind of thing, you, you did do a lot of nude or semi-nude roles, you know, moments in films that you did. At the time, did you ever feel that that was exploitative or felt perfectly natural? Strange. It's difficult to know whether I whether my view has been clouded since. But mm -hmm. my point of view now is that um, Glenda Jackson, Vanessa Redgrave, Helen Mirren, even Judy Dench, 
all in the 70s did nude scenes. It was yes, they're all very strong. It was normal. It was normal. Um, yeah. Um, you know what we didn't count on? I mean, I, I didn't ever really like it very much. I was always vaguely shy, I think. You were always really glad that the wardrobe, they usually had a closed set. They're not mm-hmm. closed enough, obviously, after my experience on Confessions of Window Cleaner. They usually did have a very minimal set, uh, crew. And there was always a wardrobe mistress with the dressing gown standing right there. You could see her. And as soon as the um, director called cut, she'd rush in and wrap a gown around you. Um, but what you didn't count on and what none of these people counted on, even these sort of dames and people that took their clothes on, was the Internet and the fact that you could freeze now and keep it forever. Yes. Uh, the nude scenes. I and mean, nobody ever thought of that. It was going to be a flash, quick flash. This, you know, it wasn't going to be seen. Nobody ever really thought that it would be out there for the rest of your life for everybody to see. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because looking back on it, um, as you said, they, they were jobs as well. And, yes, the and you wanted thing, to move on to the, the, the job. The, the, climate, the climate was much different. Uh, the other thing was absolutely on holiday, which I went on, you know, to various parts of Italy and France during the 70s and everybody was topless on the beaches they were walking around all shapes and all sizes it's a curious thing because it doesn't happen now but it Mm -hmm. did then everybody seemed to be all the women seemed to be perfectly happy and uncoy about it all whereas as I said before you know I've got two young daughters and they would die rather than do that on a beach (laughs) yeah these days I mean people are much shyer now than they were it was a 70s thing, I think. It was sort of yeah. free love. If you look at all those sort of, look at Woodstock, you look at all those sort of uh, free love things, you look at all the Summer of Love 1967 films, you look at um, concerts and uh, outdoor concerts and, and people are completely nude quite often. It, that wouldn't happen yeah. now. Mm. It's funny how times change and, and sensibilities yes. change. Yes, yeah, sensibility yeah. is exactly right. So, so after that, then you you did a couple of TV roles. You did things like Shelley and Dead of Night, but then you did a um, what was kind of a precursor to the slashes. Shelley wasn't Shelley. Shelley wasn't Shelley actually. Shelley was a, a, a BBC film about the poet Shelley. With Robert like Percy Shelley. Yes. Yeah. 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 It wasn't. It wasn't part of that sort of. T- I think it's ITV Hal Bennett thing, wasn't that? Mm-hmm. So that was a really classy mm-hmm. thing to do, actually. That was a fantastically classy thing to do because we went and filmed it in the exact spot that, in the Shelley's house in in Lerici in Italy, and that was an amazing job to do. Um, just incidentally, I mean, it's one of the high points <laughs> of my life filming filming the life of Shelley. Do you, Do you think it helped that you'd done roles where you were in period costume? Do you think that helped to 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 get you the part? Or what's weird about that is that um, um, Alan Bridges wanted us all to wear sort of modern hippie clothes, long uh, clothes. Oh, right. but, uh, I mean, we're all a bit hippie-ish in it. Yeah. It's, not been, it's not been shown much, but we're all wearing. I'm wearing a sort of long sort of thing you might have bought in uh, probably did buy in Kensington Market, and Jenny Agatha similarly. So it was a sort of it was it was. Um, was not an accurate period thing, but every, everybody was wearing velvets and sort of, oh. um, yeah, hippie things, really. So it was a bit out. And no, I don't think it did. I definitely got that from a recommendation from um, from the casting director. 
Um, I, I'll be completely honest with you, Judy. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't been able to find it. So. Nobody's seen it. Nobody's <laughs> seen it. Actually, I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I'm really being a bit frank here, but actually I got a copy of it and it does go on a bit. It's a bit, it's a bit boring. <laughs> but, um, but, but no, but it's beautifully shot and it, it was a privilege to do it. You did The House That Vanished, which is kind of a precursor to the slasher genre. Yes, it was really. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> what? I, I mean, you, 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 yeah. What was there something? Was I seeing something about that today? Oh no, I put something up. That's right on my fan page. I put something up about the House That Vanished. <laughs> but what's interesting about it is he, I, I won't go into that now. But the two Forbes Robertsons are confusing everybody. There's two actors, four, Forbes Robertson. But don't tell anybody. But what was weird is when they're talking, the guys, my lovely friends on that fan page, are talking about the film. It comes up three titles: Scream, Die, The House That Vanished. And don't go in the bedroom. And don't go in the bedroom is the one that's never used, and that's much the best title, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, the house that vanished. It's such a boring title. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense to what happens in the movie either. No, the house that vanished. I mean, sounds like some sort of documentary. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very dreary title. Who's going to go and watch a film called The House That Vanished? Let's go down the pictures and see. The house that vanished. Apparently in Spain it's called Scream and Die. Yes. I think it's also in America it's called that. I'm not sure. But even that's a bit odd because um it's sort of it's sort of nothing. I think it comes from Laraz not not being English. So he's not mm-hmm. you know, not really got the title, not really got because not neither of those, Scream and Die could be any any film in the world. And the house that vanished, whereas Don't Go in the Bedroom seems to me to be quite exciting. Yeah, although I am seeing on on um, IMDb, which is not always accurate, it says a USA alternative title, Psycho Sex Fiend. <laughs> now that's the one. Let's go for that one. I can't quite understand. Who's not going to see that? <laughs> I, I, I don't. I actually don't think I've ever seen this this film. I don't think I've ever seen it, and I don't know. I mean, I can't remember the storyline at all. I, I mean, I just can't remember what happens in it at all. Um, well, you do but, suffer through quite a quite an uncomfortable looking long drawn out strangulation scene. Yes, that's right, and that yeah. of course I remember very very well. And I remember the discussions about that, and I remember Laraz, and I remember all about that. But I don't remember all the business of going in a house and not going in a house, and and um, and and I remember when I watched it, and I was supposed to be dead, and I was the flatmate, and yet the Andrea Allen character just happily carries on with her life and seems yes. to be not in the slightest bit bothered. It's not a very good movie, is it? It's not a very good movie, but it's my least favourite anyway of all the directors that I worked with. And this, this I've said before, he was, I haven't met an actress. Well, I haven't met that many actually, but I met one recently, um, a very, very nice woman at um, at one of these um, film things. I'm confused by her name now. She did, I think, uh Vampires with Laraz, the main lead, leading lady in that. Now, I better not name her because she might not want me to say, but she did say she hadn't enjoyed working with him. And um, and somebody else, one of my fr- very good friends, also didn't enjoy working with him um, in a different film. And um, as I say, I haven't met an actress who enjoyed working with Laraz at all. It is a strange, very sort of pedestrian film. I mean, you're very good in it, Judy, but don't get me wrong. But <laughs> Paul, I don't think I have very much to do in it. 
Your, your death scene is spectacular. <laughs> yes, but it's in the dark, isn't yes. it? In the dark. It's kind of in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a bit, a bit, a bit in the dark. That was um, that I remember. What I remember mainly from that was Loraz wanting more and more, and nothing had been discussed. But the um, cinematographer guy was just a joy, and I wish I could remember his name. He was so kind and he was so flattering to me to make me feel better kept telling me about you know how how well it was working and uh, that's what I remember from filming that thing it was was how um unpleasant the director was and how very very kind and pleasant the cinematographer was the sort of contrast between them it must be very difficult to work with a director that, that you just don't get along with Yes, it was. He's the only one, really. He really is the only one, and I didn't not get along with him. I just had no um, respect for him, really. And also, I tend to think he didn't have very much respect for his actors, at least his actresses, anyway. Yeah, sure. That kind of translates onto the screen when you watch the movie. I have to say. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, his, somebody pointed out when I said something like this, probably on Twitter or somewhere, um, somebody sent me a, a picture of his autobiography um, where he, he's on the front standing, looking very, very brave and wonderful, and he's going to fight all the wolves. But um, on the floor is a woman lying, and he's got one foot on her. And I thought that mm. that, that image just completely um, sums him up and how he thought that was a good thing to do. Goodness knows. The only thing is talking like this. I don't think it matters now, especially after all these years. But he has a huge following and a lo lot of fans. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, I don't think we mentioned him by name, so if people want to look him up, they can. Have we not mentioned him by name? That's so I don't think you mentioned his name, really, no. Oh. <laughs> Which is fine. You talk about, about directors that you had little respect for. Isn't there a story that you walked out of an audition for Stanley Kubrick? Yes, but I didn't know it was Stanley. I mean, I knew it was Stanley Kubrick, but I didn't know he was going to become the great big, the great big thing that he did. Um, it, mm -hmm. what, which I don't regret it particularly because I felt again it was it was as well as all this nudity. It was a very there was it was incredibly feminist in the seventies, which I was completely sympathetic with. It was, I think it's called mm -hmm. the second second phase of feminism or second second stage or something. And it, and you know Jermaine Greer and everything. So you you did think of your rights. And um, I knew the casting director, and he just um, you you went in there and he asked you to strip down to your underwear and put on a dressing gown and go into the film. And the director would. The director wasn't there because he wouldn't fly, so he'd film he'd film it and send it to the director. Now these days they do that all the time. So I'm sure you know they film and they video. Well, I suppose they film and video auditions all the time. They get sent to the directors. But at the time it was completely unheard of for a film to be made of you, particularly in your underwear. And I'm not entirely sure they didn't ask you to take your bra off, and um, and then it was going to be flown over the. Atlantic, and I said no. I said I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a bit grand of me, considering the film that I did do. But I thought it was really shocking that he wasn't bothering to be there, and um, and and the film of all these young women were going to be sent over to him didn't seem right to me at all. So I walked out, said to the casting director, who I knew really well, I've forgotten his name, really nice guy, very good casting director, obviously for Kubrick. Uh, I said I'm sorry, I'm not doing this. I have. Uh, went home, got on the phone and rang equity and said, there's this director in America is asking for nude pictures or semi-nude 
pictures of girls. I don't know what they did, but I mean, I look back and think, my goodness, it's um, it was Kubrick. I mean, I wouldn't, I did, I don't regret it for a minute. Um, but you know, I, I don't think I would have done it either, Judy. I don't think I would have stripped down to my underwear for him either. <laughs> I'm not sure he would have asked. Good. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. <laughs> So then you returned to uh, to TV and you did uh, a lot of roles in things like the Sweeney's, Ed Cars, um, Professionals, yeah. Blake. So my, my favourite of, of all of them is the role that you did in Citizen Smith. Oh, right. Yes. That's, that's got a lot of coverage, hasn't it? I mean, I mean, people. Yes. Um, you know, Mike Grady, who's a fabulous actor again, he did a he did a, um, a you know, come and meet and chat um for the Misty Moon Film Society. And uh, when I went along to that, he told me that that episode of Citizen Smith was the most popular of the series, apparently. You must have enjoyed it, playing, playing, because you're kind of playing the upper-class mean girl, aren't you? I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I was actually, yeah, no, I was a bit anxious. I was a bit nervous, and I think you can tell that. I think there's a point in that in end scene where I sort of, uh, I am... Um, Lose my lines, and I can see it in the end scene. Um, I'd just come off the stage. I'd been an, an doing something. I'd in, done an eight-born play in Crucible uh, at Sheffield, and I came straight down and started rehearsals, which was not very long. I think it was only a week for that um, Citizen Smith. And um, and I, I think my, my – I mean, it gets a lot of um, approbation, and I'm gratified – but I remember when I got in front of the audience to record it, and it was a big audience in White City, I think I was, I felt at the time I had overreacted to the audience and was overacting like I was on the stage. That's what I felt. I've never said this to anybody before. Well, I think I said it to my friends who were in the audience. I suddenly sort of responded to this audience and started sort of overacting uh, like I was on the stage as I had been uh, just a couple mm -hmm. of weeks before. But looking at it now, it doesn't actually look like that, so it's fine. No, not at all. No, it's it's a it's a great part, and you do it very well. Yeah, and uh, the wonderful writer. What's the writer's name? That wonderful writer. Only oh, fools and horses. Um, John Sullivan. That's him. Yeah. John Sullivan <laughs> had asked for me for that part, so um, you know, because he'd seen me do similar part, posh lady in Crossroads, posh young woman, and he'd asked for me. And so when I went to see the director of that, the director didn't know who I was at all. But he, he said, um, John Sullivan wants you for this, so I'm afraid that's it. You you know, you, you've got to be offered the part. I remember him saying that. So I did. I felt, again, I was really, really gratified about that. That, that the wonderful John Sullivan, who was just you know, the best comic, one of the best comedy writers ever, had actually just asked for me to do the part. Yeah, that must have been nice. And it, it's always nice. It, it, it must be nice to to have your, your little parts um, in in great iconic series like the Professionals and the Sweeney and Zed Cars as well. Yeah, I know they're all so small those little things, but they, yeah, they were they're all great to do. Again, jobbing actress, you just turned up in your little yellow mini, um, you, you know, you, or you got a car come and collect you depending on where it was, and uh, you just did it. And it is amazing, and, and we do I do sort of um, the professional sort of shows to talk to people with groups of people from the professionals and from the Sweeney. Yeah, it was it's great in retrospect. At the time it was just jobbing actress. I enjoyed them all. I did enjoy both of those particularly. The Z cars doesn't get shown very much, um, except just recently, and you might know this, it's been put yeah. suddenly on um, on YouTube. But generally speaking, they, they haven't been shown at all. But I just love doing both of those. Two right. years apart, I think. Yeah. I have to say, your scene in The Professionals does not look comfortable, though. 
Oh, it, it was perfectly comfortable. <laughs> was it? Because well, then they they filmed it really well. Because I couldn't tell whether it was studio or actually in a building site. But obviously, you're you're gagged and tied up, and there's dust everywhere. It was in the building site. It was on oh, location. Oh, definitely. it was okay. Yeah. yeah, but it was a huge pleasure. Um, I turned up to um, what happened with that, and it's quite a, quite a complicated story. But I think they filmed some of it with another actress, um, the same episode. But for some reason, they had to do reshoots. And she couldn't do the reshoots, something like that. That's how the story goes. And so they had to get another actress in to do it again. So I was sort of drafted in at the last minute. And um, I turned up at the green room, the place they were using as a green room. And there was my wonderful friend, Roger Lloyd Pack, who I'd known for years and years and years. And um, and he was sitting there and he was the villain. And he they, they were shooting two episodes back to back. Um, because because of this reshoot business. And um, so they were very, very busy, and it was wonderful to see Roger there and to work with him. I'd never worked with him before. Hmm. So it was great. I loved it. And then, you know, be, be picked up by gorgeous lady <laughs> and be carried by him. That was it was a sort of joy. Lovely. I loved doing it. <laughs> nice. Loved doing both of them. Yeah, Colin's a big fan of those, those shows. Yeah. yeah. I am too, actually. So, so then in 1979, you, you did what must have been quite a um, made what must have been quite a big decision in your life to to go to uh, Nairobi. Yes, I, I, yes, yes, it was. I met this boy, and within a few um, <laughs> within a few dates, going out with this boy, he said, "Do you want to drive through Africa?" He had an old, battered, old um, short wheelbase Land Rover, really old and battered. And mm. I said, "Yeah, let's do that." It, I can't, I can't believe that I did that really, <laughs> or for so many reasons. But actually, the sheer danger of it was amazing. Um, but we 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 planned it for a long time, or he planned it, I should say, worked it all out where we would go. You can't go everywhere in Africa because of wars and various things, various um, boundary, you know. Borders being shut. It was all planned, and we did it, and we drove, and it took us about six months. We were, sometimes there wasn't even a road where we were going, and we were camping by the side of, you know, the Land Rover, and it was an extraordinary adventure. It was a huge adventure. It was quite um, intrepid, but I didn't know that at the time. And then we got to Nairobi. We weren't going to go any further south because of the apartheid in South Africa. We didn't want to go into South Africa, so we stayed in Nairobi, whereby the boy, who was a dental surgeon, thought he'd get work there um, because it's easy to pick up work. But he couldn't find work at all there. But I wandered into mm. the theatre and was immediately offered three months' work in the theatre because their leading lady had got ill. It was a proper little theatre that had equity contracts, equity abroad contracts, and they'd have a company of actors for a year. They'd contract them for a year, and the leading lady had got sick at the last minute, so they were in dire difficulties. So they 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 didn't even, I mean, they didn't interview me or anything. I just said I was an actress. I said, oh, will you do some acting? Which I did. It was an absolute joy. That's wonderful. It's very romantic. Yeah, it is amazing, yes. <laughs> the um the dental surgeon is sitting downstairs and been told not to come into this room for the moment. So so oh. reader, I married him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, the the leading lady that that got sick that, that that you took the position of. It wasn't dental problems, was it, by any chance? <laughs> Who knows? I can't remember. Maybe it was. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, maybe it was. I wonder where she is now. Yes. And how long were you out there then? 
In in Nairobi, um, yeah. about three months, I think. Two, about three months. About three months. In I actually stopped in Nairobi. Yes. Must have been a wonderful experience, though. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. It was amazing. It was sort of bizarre. This funny little English-speaking yeah. um, um, repertory company in the middle of um, Nairobi. But um, yeah, it was. And you and, and they. I mean, the, the actors all stayed in the theatre. They all had very, very nice rooms with the ensuite and uh, very nice. And I was, I was given one. I, uh, I, I loved the actors that were there. It, it, although most of the actors, well, the main actors were all equity on contracts. A lot of the other actors were sort of local people who um not even proper actors sort of amateurs who wanted to take part so it was a huge, huge the first thing i did was a ray cooney farce which was amazing i mean it was it was quite an extraordinary thing were the other well, actors aware of what you'd done i don't think that i don't know but what was interesting is i got to know uh, one of the local um uh, journalists was a guy called nigel slade he was he was um he used to review all the shows and he was very interested. He did. I've still got somewhere copies of his uh, of his interviews with me about what I had done. And, um, and so he took a lot of notice of it and it was in the local paper. Um, but I, I suppose they must have known. I mean, we all actors, of, of, you know, can be very boring with their long, boring stories about their work. And I'm sure I was as boring as everybody else. So they would have known what I'd done. So then you came back in the early 80s and you began a, a new phase in your career as a continuity announcer. So, so yeah. what, what brought you to that decision? Um, well, it sort of fell into my lap again. And somebody said to me, they're looking for somebody and, um, and you'd be ideal. So I went down to talk to a guy called Peter Pritchard Brown, who was just starting up the – well, he wasn't starting up. He was already part of Southern Television, but there was a new franchise, Television South, and they were looking for – some new announcers, and they were. He was looking. He they were particularly looking for a trainee announcer. They could make their own TBS announcer. So mm -hmm. uh, they trained me for a few months. I think it was two months, and then I mean I was trained on the job, and then I stayed there for about four or five years. Yes, that was very different. I had decided that I didn't really want to do any more frivolous stuff. I was want. I was looking for a change really after this enormous trip through Africa I was looking for for a change and it and it just fell into my lap do you think that's what it was it was the trip to Africa that, that, that yes I do, brought... I do the focus had changed my focus yeah. had changed yes I do well just that it was all fortuitous you know it happened it just happened I mean otherwise I, the other thing that was on the cards instead of my being was a summer season um in somewhere Bournemouth somewhere which I wouldn't have minded doing um, I think I was uh, my agent had put, put me up for that and said they want you to do it. But then this continuity announcing, I thought this sounded really interesting. I lo always love using my voice, especially now, as I've said to you, I don't want to be in vision. I like using my voice, but also the money was so good. I mean, compared with being an actor, which you do get very good money as an actor, but it's not regular. Yeah. Whereas this continuity announcing with this new franchise, it's the richest. It was the richest company in Britain, ITV company in Britain, and they um, they offered a fortune, as far as I was concerned, a monthly check. That was all. That was all very nice down in Southampton. And I presume at this point you were you were ready to to sort of settle down and and start a family, and that must have been a factor as well. Possibly, possibly it was. The thing is, it was it was it was um, it took place in Southampton. We were filming, you know, we were recording everything, you know, not recording actually live television, obviously, but in Southampton. So I was down. I was down there for a week, and then I'd come back for three days, and then go back down there for a week. So it wasn't really settling down. There wasn't a lot of settling down.
And it was an extraordinary job, actually, continuity announcing, because it's sort of hours and hours of tedium and boredom, all these weird television shows and nothing to do, punctuated by moments of complete panic when the director, uh, the presentation director would say, Judy, we've lost, we've lost the break. Can you talk for three minutes until the next program comes on? And you'd always have something prepared. You'd have something roughly prepared. But it was extremely nerve-wracking. So it was a weird job. So you, you did you so as you say you had things prepared. What for example, what 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 did you have? What what, what would no, you talk about? The normal thing would be. I mean, it just doesn't happen anymore. They're, they don't lose commercial breaks like they did. It was it's all very different because things came down from Granada and they were coming down what they said they could. I was never very technical, but come down the line from Granada and they say, oh, we've lost the feed. You've got to talk. You've got to do this. They throw it at you. And terrible for your envision, I can tell you. I mean, but we weren't envision. I think we were envision for the first couple of years. But there was always sort of, well, I've just got a couple of minutes to tell you about tomorrow night's programmes. And then you'd go through the TV Times and say, well, tomorrow at eight o'clock is the Sweeney, followed by. And then if they still, you'd have an earpiece in and they still, I hadn't got what they were supposed to be getting, you'd then turn and then I've got a little bit of extra time to tell you about Wednesday night's television and you just drone on like that. It's never my forte. Some of the some some of the announcers, mainly the men announcers, were terribly good at doing all that. I do remember things like that happening actually. I'm sure you do as well, Colin, don't you? Yes. Yeah, it's breaking like, down. They don't yeah. happen anymore. It does, just doesn't happen. But I don't think the feeds come down lines anymore. I think it's all centralised. <laughs> <laughs> but recently, you've you've uh, made a return to acting. Loosely speaking, I would say. <laughs> Very yeah. loosely speaking, not really. No, uh, no. No, you, um, you you did the you did the short spoof uh, Frankula, which um, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Yes, that was fun. Yes. I was surprised by that because I didn't, again, I've got this thing now, I've got so much older that I don't really want to be in front of the camera. But um, uh, but I, the Misty Moon Film Society were, were producing it. And um, and I think the tipping point for me was Caroline Monroe being in it. I thought she can do it, I can do yeah. it. Um, and I love her. And I didn't really know her very well. I knew her a little bit, but I've got to know her much better now. And she's, um, at, you know, everybody says how wonderful she is. Well, she just is. She's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, as well as being one of the most gorgeous. So um, so I said, I'd do it. So we just had fun on that. It was a couple of days, actually. Caroline could only, being Caroline and being so busy, she could only do one day. But the rest of us <laughs> did two days. And it was huge fun. So that was fun. And yes, and that was um, that was good. It definitely comes across in in, in, in the film that, that you're all having a good time. Oh, my goodness, you saw it. <laughs> I have seen it, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, we were having a good time, yes. We were, it was fun. Oh, fun, and also I was a bit sort of nervous. I am a bit nervous if I, if I have to do any of this sort of thing. I was a bit anxious. But actually, the way they shot it, and this wonderful guy who's the director and film um you know, the kind of film operator, a camera operator, who's since become my friend. His name's Jason Reed, and he's incredibly inventive and incredibly clever. And he sort of made it up as he went along, and he was made you very, very relaxed about it. Mm -hmm. And although I was, I must say, quite anxious, um, I, I, I do get quite anxious about any sort of acting thing these days. Um, it was just most enjoyable, and I wasn't anxious at all when it came to it. One of the things I did have difficulties with is the teeth, the vampire teeth, because, <laughs> because they had this really good special effects guy come with the teeth, and he came and tried mm -hmm. to get them in. But um, I had been forbidden 
by a certain person in my life who I mentioned earlier to mm-hmm. use any sort of proper glue on my teeth because it would, mm-hmm. you know, it would ruin, <laughs> ruin my beautiful teeth. So that was that was a bit of difficulty. I had to stick my vampire teeth in with um, with chewing gum. Oh. <laughs> it didn't work very well. <laughs> well, tell, telling us doesn't it doesn't break the spell, Judy? It's fine. <laughs> I don't think you ever really get a good look at my vampire teeth because I just can hardly open my mouth because of the chewing gum. Um, other people, Caroline, Emma Dark, another lovely young lady uh, who has vampire teeth, they didn't worry about the glue that they had to have over their teeth. They didn't have dental surgeons breathing down their <laughs> necks saying, don't do it. Don't do it. What, what was it, just a curiosity, that made you decide to want to, to act again? Yeah, just, just that it came up. Um, mm-hmm. um, and Stuart, Stuart Morris and Jen Morris, who run the Misty Moon Film Society, um, were, you know, were going to do it. And they said, would you do it? And then they said Caroline was doing it. And it all seemed just enormous fun. And they're incredibly mm-hmm. nice. And everything, and what I was amazed about, as I mentioned Jason Reed earlier, um, it was how professional the shoot was, actually. It was, it was done in an incredibly professional way. Um, yeah. Very, very efficient. And uh, mm-hmm. that, I was very, very impressed by it. But, I mean, I think it was just um, Stuart and Jen and Jason Reed sort of saying, do this, it'll be fun. And my my thinking, I'll take a bit of a risk. But as it turned out, it wasn't really a risk at all. It was just two days of fun. It is very funny and it does make me chuckle as well. So <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> and, of course, you've got The Haunting of Margham Castle due to come out, yes. haven't you? Yes, I'm looking forward to Which that. Which I'm very intrigued by. Yes, I'm quite intrigued by it. <laughs> I am too. Yes, yeah. No, I don't really know really what that. What? Yes, I, I don't know what it. What? Um. What, what? I can't remember quite what the story is, but it looks very exciting. And the guys are lovely there. That, that uh, the they're unbelievable. Those guys from Wales, Andrew Jones, the director, mm-hmm. producer, uh, incredibly efficient. His turnover is enormous. They um, they they go to, they go straight to streaming and DVD. Very again, very efficient, very high quality. Everything incredibly professional, um, and they were a joy to work with. I only did a day. Um, I've only mm-hmm. got a couple of lines actually. <laughs> did you film at the castle? No, I didn't. They did. They did. And um, they were lovely filming, I believe, but they had to do it at night. So it's freezing cold. And uh, some of the people were quite frightened because it's haunted. But they, because it's open <laughs> to the public during the day. So Jane yes. Merrow, Darren Nesbitt, the crew, and um, some other actors um, were filming in the castle. We didn't. We, Caroline and I were sort of uh, in a slightly extra film of filming in a pub. I mean, we were literally in a pub. She was the barmaid and I was a customer. And um, so it was a sort of extra little um, scene, possibly put in just to accommodate us. Um, mm-hmm. So we weren't filming in the, in, the, in the castle, but the castle looked wonderful to do, to film yeah. And they were filming right through the night. I, I've been there, actually. Have you? I, quite, I'm quite intrigued. I did, um, <laughs> this is probably very, very boring for you, but I did a, a ghost vigil there, overnight ghost vigil about two years ago, like a ghost course, hunt type thing. amazing. Did you see anything? Did you see any ghosts? Yes. Did I didn't you? see any ghosts, but I was pushed through a doorway twice when there was no one behind me. <laughs> that can't be true. How wonderful. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh. It's really true. Yeah. How extraordinary. <laughs> I can see. Um, well, I, I'm I'm kind of um, 
I'm kind of a skeptic on all of this kind of thing, considering that I love horror movies and and, and things like that. But how can so you be a skeptic if it actually happened to you? I mean, I'm a well, skeptic too. But if I was suddenly pushed through a doorway, I think you'd have to stop being a skeptic, wouldn't you? He'd been drinking. Well, the, the first time. Oh no, I hadn't. <laughs> what were you taking? <laughs> I was perfectly sober at the time, and um, the first time it happened, I was with a friend, and we both got pushed through the door. And then the second time it happened, it was just me, and that was enough to make me think, okay, there's something going on here. I mean, I always wonder when people talk about ghosts. You think, well, why would you be? Why would a ghost bother to push you through a door? <laughs> why? It's picking on me. That's what it's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. How scary. So are we going to see you in anything else after this? No, 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 no. I've never really made plans. I mean, all this sort of chat for hours and hours and hours I've been droning on. Um, but I've never really made plans for the future, ever, ever, ever. And um, and what have we got now? We've got this lockdown. So we're waiting to see. And no, you won't see me. I'm not up for acting jobs, really. But if, if something like The Haunting of Margaret Castle came by and it was just a couple of little lines and cameo and fun because there is nothing like being on a film set for for having fun and enjoying it i love it i love it i love the camaraderie people are always so lovely it was it's just lovely so um so if somebody comes up with two or three lines maybe yeah start writing well thank you so much for doing this judy we really Pleasure. appreciate I mean, it Yes, it's a pleasure. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. We, you know, chat offline anytime you like because you're fun, fun boys to talk to. Thank you. It's yeah, it's been a pleasure to listen to your stories. Yeah, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks a lot. Bye. In our next episode, we'll be back to a normal service with an old TV or film review. And if you'd like to suggest one, then you can email your suggestion to retrospection at email.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at Retrospecky, and on Instagram at Retrospection Podcast, all one word. And please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen. You can also hear the themes and songs from the films and shows we review at our Spotify playlist. And finally, if you'd like to support our old episodes and help new ones coming along, then you can lower our server costs by supporting us via patreon.com slash retrospection. Thank you to our current Patreon supporters, and thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.